Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Awesome worship team. Thank you for all you did. We had a brand new members. We're, we're Celine. Celine did awesome here. Fantastic. Oh, there you are. God bless you. We're glad you're part of the team. Let's encourage Celine. First time ever. Great. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. If you've been here a little bit, you know we're walking through the book of Acts. We've been doing that for a number of weeks. We have a couple more weeks after this. Then comes, oh, I know you're excited. I know I am. Advent season, Thanksgiving, all that's coming ahead of us. You just wait. Our, our decoration team is already dreaming and scheming and planning how to make this place beautiful and, and, and Christmassy all over the place. But before we get there, we want to focus on Acts. And, and what we've been doing is discovering how powerfully God showed up. The Holy Spirit. Spirit showed up, and not only to show up and show off his own power, but he chose to work in, work through normal folks like you and me. And I've been blown away week after week after week, seeing how God does that so beautifully, so powerfully back in those days. And it made me wonder, why, why are we studying the book of Acts? It's 2,000 years old. Why did God even put the book of Acts in the Bible? Is his story from 2,000 years ago? Well, that in and of itself is more than enough reason to give God the glory and the, the gratitude, the praise, the honor for how he worked in the past. That is reason enough to celebrate the book of Acts, but I believe there's more. Here's the crazy thing. I'm just crazy enough to think that the God that worked powerfully in and through folks 2,000 years ago is the same God that lives and, 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 and works today in Cape Coral. And I believe he is looking for folks like you and me, churches just like New Hope Church, who would let him, allow him to work in and through them to change our world, to radically transform our world, just like we're reading about in the book of Acts. We're going to read today, for example, a story out of Acts chapter 12, an incredible breakout story. God breaks Peter out of jail. But the incredible thing in this story is even what happens after that. Because of this breakout, the church experiences a breakthrough, and it expands. It really explodes all over the known world. That is what we're praying for. That is what I believe God can, will, and wants to do today. Folks, as we pull out these, these, these keys to the breakout and the breakthrough that God, that God worked in and through Peter and the other guys and gals around him, as we pull these out of the story from 2,000 years ago, I pray that you will see how God wants to do these same things in and through you and in and through us as a church. This is what I long for. This is what I personally showed up for. I want acts in 2023, 2024, in Cape Coral, in Northwest Cape Coral, in our part of the world, will you join with me? I think every time we get together, it's important because we're digging into God's word. I hope everyone digs into God's word and takes notes and remembers what we talked about. I, I think that's always important. But this week, maybe, maybe even a little more so, because I, I want to be that Pastor, I want to be that believer. I want to be that church family that God chooses to work powerfully through as he did in the days of the book of Acts. So, 
pull out your phones, pull out your pen. I know Jimmy's got his pen, his notebook, his paper. He's ready to take notes because we're going to dig in and find out what are the keys to the breakout and the breakthrough that God used, thank you, Jimmy, 2,000 years ago. Open up your Bible. If you have your phone, you can aim it at the QR code, pull up the, uh, the Bible text, also sermon notes, or you can follow on the screen behind. We're in Acts chapter 12. We're starting in verse number 1. I'm going to open up the notes myself and read it right out of the notes from the, uh, from the Bible app. Nope, not that one. There we are. Okay, I've got to get the right church here. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. We're glad you're with us. If you're online, join us as well. Hey, I've got a special guest online, my own wife. She's traveling this week with some of our kids and her mom and her family. So welcome, babe. Don't forget the Bible app right there. <laughs> Acts chapter 12, verse 1 says this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter too. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. All right, let's dig into the first key. I think the first key in seeing God not only uh, break us out, but even give us breakthroughs in our ministry here in Cape Coral, Northwest, and, and the rest of the world, our very first key is prayer. How important is that? This word for prayer was a special kind of prayer that the church was doing in those days, as you can imagine. James had just been killed. Peter is now in jail, awaiting pretty much the exact same fate. It is the, the 11th hour and 59 minutes. It is go time. It is earnest prayer time. That word earnest, or your Bible might say fervent, what that means is a, literally it means a pulled tight, if it was a rubber band, a stretched out to leave no slack in the line. That's what the word earnest means here. This was earnest prayer pulled as tightly as they could. There was no slack, there was no pause, there was no waiting. This was real prayer, not that shopping list kind of prayer that we do sometimes. Not that worrying out loud and calling it prayer that we do sometimes. Not that telling God what he needs to do on our schedule kind of prayer. This was fervent, real, time-sensitive kind of prayer. You ever, you ever prayed like this? Maybe, um, maybe at a bedside of a very sick family member or friend. Maybe when you got one of those late-night phone calls that woke you out of a dead sleep you went into this kind of a prayer. Maybe a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter that you prayed for a thousand times before, but it just hit you how earnest the situation is, and you go into this kind of prayer. But not only was this earnest prayer, this is a prayer through disappointment. Did you understand what the Bible just said? They're praying for Peter. Who could be more important than Peter? One of the 12, just days before the Bible says that they had taken James and killed James. James, John, and Peter, they were the three intimate friends of Jesus. Anytime Jesus, well, he would pull away his 12, but sometimes he would pull from the 12 his three, Peter, James, and John. Herod had already pulled away James. Do you think they had not gathered and prayed earnestly for James as well? Do you think they had not hoped and believed and trusted that God would answer their prayer as they are now? 
And God didn't answer the prayer the way they'd hoped. God didn't come through the way they had expected. God didn't release James. No, in fact, James was killed by the sword. How do you keep praying for Peter when that unanswered prayer is so fresh in your mind and your heart? Have you ever been there? How do we pray for a sick family member? How do we pray for a church that is crumbling? How do we pray for a broken relationship when we prayed equally, if not more diligently and earnestly for the last time and it didn't happen? I only know one thing about folks that, that get through this. They don't, they, don't, they don't stop praying, but they pray through it. The only way they get past that disappointment or disenchantment with God is to pray through it, and through that, God moves powerfully. This kind of fervent prayer, this praying through the pain, this no-slack prayer, this kind of prayer has power. During the years of COVID, our church, along with pretty much all other evangelical churches in America, lost about one-third of their church attenders. They said, this is too much work. I, I can't do it anymore. And to be honest, I've kind of wanted to do this for a long time. And they walked away never to be seen again. That was the plight of many and many churches folded not long after that. We saw something very different here at New Hope. God chose to move, and I believe in large part because of your prayers. During those difficult days and those down days and those hard days, our church numbers actually grew. During those days, the number of Bible studies that we offered during the week actually doubled. During those days, this beautiful shave structure that we used just last night, hey, if you, if you didn't know, we started our Saturday night service back outside in the shade. It was inside for the hot summer months. Last night, it was beautiful insider tip, that's a service to visit. Anyways, that whole thing was paid for before we even broke ground. In about one month, we, we cast the vision and you guys were faithful again because prayers, in, all, in almost all of our giving, we've seen almost a doubling since those early days. God is moving powerfully and I believe it's because of your prayers. People during the COVID years, even beyond that, said, oh, this is hard. This is unlike anything we've ever seen. How can, we, how can we fight against this kind of pushback from the enemy? I mean, are you kidding me? Back in, in the days of Acts, they were cutting people's heads off. And the church was flourishing. The church was expanding. Quite honestly, the church was exploding. And I believe it was because of this prayer. The enemy doesn't stand a chance against a believer or a church that understands the power of fervent, earnest, no slack in the line kind of prayer. Think about Peter for a second. Peter was one of the disciples, probably one of the older disciples. Granted, he was a fisherman, meaning he worked outside. He probably was in decent shape, but not the shape he was in at 20 anymore. Why did they have to put 16 guards? Remember, four squads of four guards each. So 16 Roman guards. You see in pictures, right? They've got swords, they have knives, they have spears, they have the armor. 16 of these black ops guys surrounding fisherman Peter. Were they really that scared? How in the world is this older fisherman, the fishermen I know, they're not a threat. None of them are running marathons. But this fisherman was such a threat that they came at him with 16 guards. Why? Because of his power in his muscles? Of course not. The power they saw in him went way beyond that. They saw something in him, a power in him. It came from him standing up, a simple, uncouth, untrained, unschooled fisherman standing before an entire city preaching and thousands of people coming to faith. 
I saw, they saw him going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders with doctorates in theology and showing them, demonstrating them the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They saw a power in him that they didn't see in the strongest man in their own army. So they had to put 16 soldiers around him. When the enemy sees our church, does the enemy shake? Does he quake? Or does he laugh? When the enemy sees your life and your influence and your potential for the kingdom of God, does he get nervous? Does he throw everything at you he can? Does he throw all of his minions and demons at you trying to distract you or take you out of the game? Or does he laugh and say, oh, do whatever you want. That one I'm not worried about at all. At him, he threw 16 guards and it didn't work. God is calling us to be a threat to the enemy of your very soul. Second of all, the second key is this. It's peace. Look at verse number six, right there in the passage. Peace. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, hold on. That, that's, uh, that's the NIV. Maybe your translation is different. Let's see if it, it works. That's not how it should be. In between these two guards, Peter should have been worrying, right? Is that what your Bible says? In between these two guards, Peter should have been scheming. Is that what your Bible says? In between these two guards, Peter should have been crying. He should have been complaining. He should have been shaking his fist at God. He should have been having a temper tantrum. Surely that's what your Bible translation says. He was sleeping. Are you kidding me? Who does that? We just said it. It is the 11th hour, 11 and 59 minutes and 59 seconds. Any minute now, Herod could say, bring him out for the trial. Some sham trial they would have run through in a couple of minutes just to get him down there and and kill him just like they had done James. There was no question in anyone's mind what was coming. And Peter is sleeping between two guards. How in the world does that happen? That's not possible. And Peter, of all people, he's not the model of peace if you look at his life up until this point. You remember the night that Jesus was taken captive before he was crucified. They were in the garden and and, and, uh, the, the religious leaders came and one of the slaves of one of the religious, the servants, he came as well. Peter lashes out in anger and what does he do? He literally chops the guy's ear off. That is not a picture of peace. He is lashing out. He's angry. He has major anger issues and and takes matters into his own hands. Not long after that, there's that whole denial thing. Remember, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. No, not me. Everyone else, these losers, they might throw you under the bus, but not me. I'll go with you unto death, he says. Not once, not twice, but three times. He folded like a cheap suit. He sang like a bird, and not one of the people that questioned him was of any importance at all. None of them had influence. It was a little bitty slave girl at the end, and he he just gave it all up just to save his own skin. This is not a model of peace. How in the world did this happen? What changed in Peter's life? Well, first of all, probably and most certainly, the church was praying earnestly. What were they praying for? I'm sure to a large part they were praying for his protection, that God would release him, that God would save him. But I know that some of those believers were praying for peace that would reign over his heart and his soul, even in the midst of this trial. You ever prayed that for somebody? You have no idea how to get them out of the situation they're in. 
they've gotten them into or the world's gotten them into. You can't fix it. Doctors can't heal it. And so all you know how to do is say, God, God, just give them a peace in the midst of this. I know some of the believers were praying that, so we had a peace. But second of all, I believe that Peter had come to a place in his life through all that God had brought him through. Remember, this is not the Peter of the Gospels. This is the Peter of the book of Acts. A lot has changed since. And you remember back in, in the Gospels how he met Jesus? You might remember the story. He, he couldn't be bothered with going to a church service, a, a Bible study, one of these public events where Jesus is preaching and teaching. That would have been out of his comfort zone. He liked his work, he liked his friends, he liked his colleagues, he liked his boat, he liked his hobbies. He was a fisherman, and so he was going to fish. Jesus went after him. You might remember the story. Jesus is talking to a group of people. He couldn't get to a place where all of them could see him. There were a bunch of boats lined up on the shore. He could have taken any boat he wanted. He said, I want that boat, Peter's boat. Peter said, sure, why not? What do I care? So Peter gets to the back of the boat, and he's fixing the nets, he says. And he's fixing the nets with eyes and fingers, but with both ears, he's listening to every word Jesus says. That experience changed Peter's life. It was a process, very much involved in a process, but God brought him through that process, and now he's to a place where he is so far out of his comfort zone. This untrained, uneducated fisherman is boldly proclaiming the gospel. Thousands of people are getting saved. He's come to a place where he said, God, anything you want, you can use me in Galilee, you can use me in Jerusalem. God, anything you want. I will be a fisher of fish or I will be a fisher of men. God, anything you want. I will live or I will die. This is how he find, found his peace. Folks, this kind of a peace that comes in the midst of those situations, sleeping between two guards who are about to take your very life, this peace has power. Peace. Thirdly, Third key is prison. Now I know what you're thinking. Hold on, pastor. I'm on board with the prayer and the peace thing, but prison? Give me a break. No one wants to go to prison. I don't want to go to prison, pastor. Here's the deal. Most of us are already in prison. Let me read the passage. 7 through 10 says this. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone in the whole cell. This angel, he, struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought it was seeing just a vision or a dream. Verse 10. They passed the first and then the second guards and came to an iron gate leading out to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So what's going on here? Peter is in chains. Peter is chained between two guards. There's not just two guards. There's actually 16 guards. Beyond that, he's inside of a prison, apparently with a series of gates. He ain't going nowhere. He is in prison. But I dare say that you and I, we are in prisons ourselves. And this is a key in seeing not only the breakout story of Peter, but our own breakthrough story right here in Cape Coral. We're in, we're in the prison of addiction. We're in the prison of sin. We're in the prison of fear, the prison of anxiety, the prison, the prison of pride. 
my way is the only way. God, if you want to get on board with that, great, I'll go anywhere I want to go in your name. (laughs) God is calling us to be released from that. I would be much like Peter. I am not sure I would do things right. I would probably say I can't follow instructions, and yet God is calling us to do that. What if God wanted to use this prison experience of Peter's to teach you and me a lesson on how to break out of our own prisons today. In each case, the the, the angel says something or does something to Peter. Peter has a response that I believe is, is spot on, perfect. Unfortunately, you and I, we don't give the same answers Peter does. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the commands or the words or the actions of the angel. We're going to look at the responses of Peter, but we're also going to look at the responses that you and I would would naturally normally give. Number one, the Bible says the angel struck him. Now, I know that's a strong word. We don't really feel comfortable with that. God doesn't strike us. Angels don't strike us. They, They cuddle us. They pat us on the back. They encourage us to keep going. That's what angels do. We have little pictures of cuddly little angels all over our houses. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hurt a fly. They wouldn't strike me. I looked up that word strike. Maybe it means pat. Maybe it means encourage. Maybe it means snuggle. <laughs> nope. It means smite. It means strike. It means hit hard enough to kill somebody. In fact, you remember that, that, guard, that uh, slave we were just talking about in the Garden of Eden that, that Peter uh, chopped his ear off? The same word that is in that passage, Jesus struck his ear, is this exact same word. The angel struck Peter. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. We don't like it when God strikes. I don't even know that Peter understood that this was an angel at that moment. In fact, in the Bible, it says he didn't. When we get on to verse 11, in just a minute, you'll find out that Peter says very clearly in verse 11, after everything we just read, Wow, now I know that what was just happening was from God. He sent an angel to bring me out. So he had no idea who this was. This is a problem for many of us. We don't know, we don't know who's talking to it. Is it God? Is it, is it the internet? Is it my friends? Is it my, my subconscious? Is it my guilty conscience? Is it, is it just something I ate? What, who is talking to me? Because God would never talk to me this way. And because of that, we are confused. We don't know what's going to happen next. Here's the deal. God will always use the most effective form of communication of his will in each of our lives. Sometimes, like in the Old Testament, it is that still small voice. Other times, it is literally a two-by-four across the forehead. But God will always use a method that is most effective. Mostly, it depends on your and on my disposition. God is calling us. He wants to speak to us. And then he says, the angel says, quick, get up. Now, that's good because Peter does quickly get up. You and I, I don't know that we would be so quick to get up. I think probably I and maybe many of you might respond with, how? How am I supposed to get up? You don't see me here chained to two guards. You don't know they've beaten the snot out of me. I can barely stand up at all. You don't see that even if we get past these two guards, there's two more at the door, and outside the door, there's at least 12 more. How is this supposed to work? What do you do? What do you do when you think the things that you're chained to are more powerful than the command God has given you? Your your, your job? Your family, their expectations, 
your past, your dysfunctional past, you've been told you're no good, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not Christian enough, you're, you're not upfront material. What do you do when you are still chained to these things and you believe no matter what God calls you to, there's no way you can do that. Those commands, those, those visions, those missions, that clarity that others have, that's for them, but it could never work for you because you are trapped, you are locked down, you are chained to what you are chained to. God is calling you to go, he's calling you to give, he's calling you to serve, he's calling you to forgive, but all we see are our chains. Look at the story again. When did his chains fall off? His chains didn't fall off until he gets up. We want those chains to fall off before we do anything. If God expects me to, to step out, to move out, to serve, to, to do something new or different or crazy for him, he's going to have to make it very clear and make it very clear before I take one step out the door. If he will give me that, I will do it. But God says, no, first you obey, and then the chains will fall off. Thirdly, what does the angel say? Uh, sorry, next the angel says, put on your clothes, put on your sandals, put on your cloak. My question is, why? I mean, isn't it good enough that we just bolt out of here? You've loosed the chains. I'm free. Let's run for it. Let's get out of here. I don't know that I'm on board with your plan, Mr. Angel. That sounds cumbersome. That sounds extra. That sounds like something I wouldn't normally do. Let's go with my normal MO. Let's go with how I'm wired. Let's go with my default mode. I don't know if I like your plan. We want to not only know everything, but we want to make sure everything is according to our own plan. God's work, uh, uh, plan for our work, God's plan for our marriage, God, God's plan even for planting a church. If he's faithful to give us that plan before we begin, we're on board. If we don't get a full explanation before we begin, we ain't moving. If we were Peter, we'd still be in, in jail. But God's saying, get dressed for what's next. Next, he says, finally, and follow me. Now, you get that word in a dark prison, and someone says, follow me. The next question is, where? I'm not going anywhere until I know where we're going. I want to make sure there's a good job market there. I want to make sure the houses are affordable there. I want to make sure the schools are good and, and proper for my kids. I want to make sure that the cost of living is affordable. I want to make sure there's a beach somewhere nearby. I ain't going anywhere until I know where we're going. Going with God, we say, well, that's not really my thing. You know, those, those folks, those flitty, flexible folks that just get up and go with God, they're different than I am. I'm a stayer. I'm more responsible. I'm a committer. I'm staying right here. If you want to find someone that just gets up and goes, God, you're going to have to look somewhere else because I ain't going. I wonder. I wonder if God only calls the flexible, the flitty, the get up and go folks, or maybe God calls a lot more of us, and they're just the ones that respond. God is calling us to go. In fact, verse 10 even puts it this way. After, they, after Peter says, okay, I'll go, he doesn't even ask where, why, what. He, he's just going. They get to this door, and, and, and as they walk to the door, the Bible says the door just opens. The first ever example of a motion sensor door in the entire world was right here in verse number 10. The door just opens. When did the door open? When he was still chained, 
chained? When did the door open when he was still wondering and said, oh, where, where is this going? I don't know if I like this plan. When did the door open when he was still sitting there saying, I'm not sure if I like this. I don't know where we're going. If you explain where we're going, then maybe I'll go with you, but not until I know ahead of time. When did the door open? When it sensed his motion. As he got closer to that door, so many of us say, oh, Lord, I, I would go or I would do, but, but the doors just aren't opening, Lord, as I sit here on my couch with my coffee waiting for the plan. And God's saying, I want to see motion. I need to see obedience. As we get closer to the doors, the doors will open, following God where he's led us. I, I, I talked to some of my colleagues that are great guys. I mean, really godly guys, gifted men, serving the Lord well, seeing tremendous movement in their churches. But sometimes they say things like this. You know, uh, with the gifting I've been given and with the abilities that I have, it only makes sense that I go where it's strategic where I can have the greatest impact for the kingdom. I used to love that. I think that's, that's actually pretty cool. That's kind of how Chick-fil-A does it. They don't just throw up a Chick-fil-A anywhere. They go where they're going to have the most customers. That's, that's good. That's good business sense. Have you ever read the book of Acts? I mean, even once. You remember, we talked about this guy, Philip, not too long ago. Philip was, was in Samaria experiencing incredible revival. People, Samaritans, Samaritans never believed. They were believing. They were responding in droves. They were casting out demons. They were doing miracles. Hundreds, maybe even thousands were coming to faith. God plucks Philip out of that revival. He says, I need you to head down to Jerusalem. Oh, okay, Jerusalem, that makes sense. Big city. He said, no, 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 not in Jerusalem. I want you to pass all the way through Jerusalem, all the way out on this country road that goes all the way down to Africa. Africa? We don't know anyone in Africa. Exactly. And when you get there, I want, to look, I want you to look for one guy sitting all by himself in one chariot, and I want you to talk to him. And he does it. This guy gets saved, and he never sees him again. The guy heads off to Africa. How in the world is that strategic? How is that having the greatest impact for the kingdom? We don't know what happened to that guy. The church in, in Africa, in my belief, and many historians' belief, was founded by that guy that Philip got plucked about of Samaria, brought, brought him to a country road outside of Jerusalem just for that one man so that he would go and plant a church planting movement in Africa. We can't plan that stuff. This is how God works in Acts. Don't give me that baloney about what's most strategic and what makes sense in the, in the business culture of today. God is different. And then finally, the last key is persistence. Look at uh, verses 11 to 16. 11 to 16 say this. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When, he had when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This is John Mark. We've talked about him. Where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without even opening the door. She exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. You're crazy, they said. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, oh, maybe it's his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
All right, let's just talk about persistence. This is persistence in prayer, but generally speaking, persistence of all kinds. This is a key to seeing this kind of a breakthrough, not only in, in that story 2,000 years ago, but I believe in our story today. Persistence, what does that look like? Persistence in prayer looks like this. You see the very last verse. As they open the door and they realize it is Peter, remember the guy they've been praying for, they see it's Peter. The Bible says they were astonished. Well, that's, that's a fine word. I, it kind of fits the situation, astonished, wow, this is great, oh, what a celebration, hey, this is awesome. No, but that's not what the word means. The word means they were flabbergasted, they were shocked, they were floored, it was the last thing they expected to see. That's what that word astonished means. What? They were just in the middle of a prayer meeting, and we just built them up, encouraged them, saying, not just any prayer. It was earnest prayer. It was pulled tight kind of prayer. No slack in the line kind of prayer. Surely they expected this. Nope. They were just as shocked. In fact, it was easier for them to believe that God had sent an angel in Peter's name than that God had answered their own prayers, and Peter himself was at the door. This is how crazy this experience was. It was a shock. They had been praying for this. But before we're too tough on these folks as being folks of little faith, let's understand their situation. Number one, the persecution was intense. You remember, not only had James just been killed, but not long before that, Stephen had been martyred. And because of that, the church scattered all around the known world. They were hiding for their very lives. Second of all, when it says that James was killed by the sword, that's actually a euphemism for they cut his head off. Now, why is that important? Well, the Jews in those days, if there was a criminal, they would stone him. That means throwing little and then bigger rocks at a person until they are dead. It was terrible. The Romans, on the other hand, they would crucify their criminals. However, if it was a criminal who was either a heretic or a traitor, they would cut off his head. So when Herod decided to cut off the head of James, he is now officially proclaiming the, 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 the nation of Rome, the Roman Empire, the powers that bleed, have now declared that this little cult, this little sect, this little group this called the Way, the Christian group, they are now traitors, not only to the Jewish tradition, but also to the Roman law. They will be hunted, and they will be eradicated. We started with James. We're going to get Peter next, and we're going to work our way all the way through all the leaders, and then all you church members are next. He had put them all on notice. They were coming, and they were coming hard. They were scared to death. And don't forget, James had just died after praying so intensely. But they continued to pray. And why did they continue to pray, and why did God answer prayer? I think it came right there, also in verse 16. The Bible says, but Peter continued to knock. But Peter kept knocking. Well, of course he kept knocking. His life was on the line. Yeah, the angel came. The angel freed him from prison. But those 16 guards, they're now looking for Peter. In those days, if you were a guard of a prisoner, if the prisoner escaped, you would receive whatever penalty the prisoner was going to get. If he had stolen something, they were going to cut off his hand, then they would cut off your hand. If your prisoner was to be killed... Guess what? All 16 of those guys were going to be killed. You better believe they were hunting for Peter, and Peter's banging on the door. In fact, we even know he was calling because the Bible says Rhoda recognized his voice. He was hitting. He was banging. This wasn't one of those uh, weekly 
knocks whenever you're in the church building. This wasn't one of those high holy day kind of knocks on the door of heaven. This wasn't one of those knocks when you see the pastor watching. This is a banging on the door, never stop kind of knocking without fail. A lot of us, if not all of us, right now, are standing in front of a locked door. Closed door from the other side. And you've knocked politely. You've knocked every time you think about it. You've knocked every time you get together with other believers. God is calling us to keep knocking. Keep knocking on the door, that, the thing that seems impossible, on the, on the job that you're asking for, the, the relationship that is broken, the finances that aren't enough, the, the mental health problems, the prodigal son and the prodigal daughter. God is calling on us to keep knocking. And in that knocking, God sees a persistence in our prayer and in our lives. And God opens those doors for us today, the same way he did 2,000 years ago for Peter and Rhoda and that small little group of believers. Folks, we're going to have a chance to practice that right now. Before we, we head out and, 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 and get on with our lives, we're going to stop and practice that. Not that we have enough time. I wish we had more, but we want to practice this now so that we, we start working those muscles Get a little spiritual muscle memory going here of what it's like to knock on that door. We're just going to close our eyes. Some may want to stand up. Some stay seated. Some may want to come to the stage area and kneel down. You're free to do whatever you want. I'm going to open our time with a, a brief word of prayer and then leave silence. Each one of us has a door in front of us. I know what my door looks like, and I'm going to be banging on that door the throne of heaven for God to open that door in my life, and I trust that you will do the same in your heart and in your prayer time. I pray this would be a beginning, that we would be known throughout all Cape Coral and all the world as a church that prays like the church in the book of Acts, that God opens doors today in Cape Coral like God opened in the book of Acts. Let's start that right now. Father, we do. We pray that you would hear our prayers now as Peter stood before that door banging with all of his might calling with every bit of voice that he had convinced that if he didn't get his message across his very life would depend on it God I pray that that would be our motive of praying for family members for sicknesses for healing for new life, for new churches, for church plants, for broken relationships. God, all the doors that are slammed shut in front of us, hear us now as we begin banging on those doors, asking you to open what has been shut.
Lord, forgive us for uh, knocking too lightly, for running out of steam before the door has been opened, for not trusting you enough to hear and to respond in your perfect timing. God, I pray that you would remind us as a church family of the importance of persistence in our prayer, in our peace, even in our times of prison confinement, God. Use all of that to move in and through us today as you did 2,000 years ago. God, we are ready. We are willing. We want to be used by you in our world as Peter and the other guys were used 2,000 years ago. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.